Welcome to the Retirement Pilot with Steve Hoover. Please discard unnecessary fees and expenses before going through security. Check your emergency fund at the gate and securely stow your well-conceived portfolio in the overhead bin. And when we reach cruising altitude, remember, you are now free to move about retirement. Back for this week's edition of the Retirement Pilot. Thanks for hanging out with us, y'all, as we talk investing, finance, and retirement with Steve Hoover. What's going on, Steve? How are you, my bud? Doing great, Mark. How are you? Hanging in there, doing pretty good. I'm just moving my way through this. Uh, we are into October, so this is uh, this is our October 1st episode. Well, we're taping in a few days ahead of that, but it's dropping on October 1st. So what was that old Chris Berman thing? You used to watch ESPN, I, I think, uh, you're a sports guy. What do you say? He would always say, let me be the first to wish you a happy whatever, right? He oh, was, yeah, that's right. Yeah, let me be the first. Let me be welcome. the first. So let me be the first to welcome you to October. <laughs> Can't get here soon enough. <laughs> Just get this 2020 over with. That's right. Well, we're getting closer. Well, listen, if you are new to the podcast, we're going to be talking about financial stuff you should know this week. We talk about financial stuff we think you should know just about every time we do one of these. But if you're tuning in because you are a subscriber, then you realize we teed this up last week. So hopefully uh, you've been subscribed to the show and enjoying it. And if not, get yourself over to the website, wealthpartnerskc.com. That's wealthpartnerskc.com. You can find a lot of good tools, tips, and resources on Steve's site. You can subscribe to our podcast uh, on whatever platform you'd like to use, or you could just search the Retirement Pilot, same thing, on the search box of any app that you enjoy using when it comes to podcasting. Just type in the Retirement Pilot. All right, so financial stuff you should know. Let's jump in and knock a few of these things out. You and I talked on that previous podcast that a lot of times as adults, we still don't have really good or proper education when it comes to our finances and and how these things are going to can affect us. And that's one reason, hopefully, people are turning to a financial advisor such as yourself. But let's get a few kind of random things that we think people might should know. One of the things we covered, Steve, was the stock market. Most people know, you actually said on the prior show, most people know what stocks are. But a lot of people are surprisingly don't know what a bond is. Well, they'd be even more surprised to know that the bond market is about twice the size of the stock market. It is. And let me let me define what a bond is. A bond is nothing more than you as an investor loaning money to somebody. When a the federal government sells treasury bonds, treasury notes, T-bills, they're borrowing money from people who are buying those notes. And in exchange for, for you giving the government the money, they're going to pay you interest on it. Companies do it as well. Corporations do it. They'll issue what they call debt or bonds. And you simply buy the bond, you give them the money, they tell you they're going to give you a certain amount of interest rate, and you're basically a lender. So as a stock owner, you're an owner of a co company. So I always tell people, look, you're an owner or a loaner. If you're an owner, you own stocks. If you're a loaner, you own bonds. Easy way to do it, right? Pretty simple, simple way to do that. And a lot of times also people don't realize that the that bonds, another little piece that you should know, and this is a great kind of way, similar to what Steve just said, to think about how they work because they have an advert, they have a teeter-totter effect. So I, I was always taught when, when rates are high, bonds die, and when rates are low, bonds grow. So that's Correct. another way to think about how they work in proportion to what's going on uh, within, the, uh, within the, the Fed rates and so on and so forth. All right, so item number two on stuff you should know, tax rates are basically the lowest they've ever been. They are pretty darn close. I think in, they might even be, depending on the category. Uh, but a lot of the times, you know, we tend to, as Americans, say, oh, man, I got to pay my taxes, and they're taking me for everything. And we kind of lose sight of the fact of just how low we're sitting. 
We are right now. We're the the last time the tax rates were this low was about thirty some years ago. Right now, we are at the lowest that we've ever been. Just an FYI for everybody: the current tax brackets that we have right now, current tax law, are set to expire on December thirty first of twenty twenty five. So where we are right now, if no changes happen between this year, next year, and and the year twenty twenty five. Starting in January 1st, 2026, we're going to revert back to what they were in 2017, which means they are significantly higher. So right now, we have the lowest rates, but if something's not done, they're going to go back up on in 2026. Right. And depending on what happens with the election this fall in about a month or so, a uh, new administration could make that even sooner. So you just you never know. Right. And that's going to that's part of what happens when you get new administrations in. They may leave it alone until they sunset uh, under the current. one. They may revert back uh, to what it was prior to. They may put a whole new plan in place. So and, and I, I totally agree with you. The the difference, I think, right now, mm-hmm. and, and this is just my opinion, sure, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. Not a, I'm not a CPA or a tax expert, but. Right now, we're sitting at almost $27, $28 trillion in debt. Right. Um, and the way we finance that debt is by issuing bonds. So we, we issue a lot of bonds and uh, other countries buy our bonds so that we can finance our, ourselves. But we have to pay interest on those bonds, which comes from tax revenue. And right now, with that type of, of debt, and it's not going down it's only going up. And if this, they're coming out with another stimulus package, which is going to add additional debt onto ourselves. Yes, sir. My opinion is I think we're going to see some type of tax increase in some way happen because we have to generate more revenue to at least uh, somewhat services debt and do certain other. If we don't, we're just going to go into further, further debt faster and faster. So, if there is a change in the administration or the, the formulation in Congress, they may be forced. I don't care who's in there. They may be right, forced to yeah. really make some hard choices and decisions on the tax rates. That's a good and, way. It's a good way of looking at it. You know, we we kick the can down the road, and everybody wants to, right? I mean, most of us as voters, we we were like, yeah, it would be great. We don't want to have to pay any more taxes. We'll just kick it down the road. But at some point, somebody's got to pay it. So whether it's us or our kids or our grandkids, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what politician's going to go out there and say, "Hey, I'm raising I well, raise your tax. <laughs> well, I'm technically, raise everybody's tax. Technically, one well, guy did, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, and didn't go very very I mean, well. Yeah, I mean, so. You know, so and and the other part is, and this is. This is probably my most controversial thing I'll ever say okay. All right. on this podcast is that the rich, whoever they determine the rich are, right. don't have enough money to, um, you can't tax the rich so much to cover uh, the issues with the debt. It's going to have to be a shared increase in taxes among everybody. Otherwise, it's there's no way that this is ever going to end. So they'll say tax the rich, tax the rich. Well, the rich you know, you can't take all the money from the rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, I don't know who that is. Maybe that's whatever. Yeah. The, the, the wisecrack is, the well, somebody rich. rich is who, who's your next door neighbor that makes a dollar more than you. Well, they're rich, but it, it's going to have to be a shared sacrifice. Yeah. 
It really well, is. I, you, I don't like taxes, but it's going to happen. Right. Uh, it, well, you know, and that whole rich, you know, defining rich conversation, um, there's some interesting reports out there that say, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but they, they say if you have like $10 in your pocket at any given time, you're in the 1% wealthiest of the world. Um, yeah. It, so we, we, we lose sight in this country uh, as to what rich is as well. There's rich, there's mega rich, there's, and then there's Bezos, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's like... The poorest of people in the United States are often some of the richest in the world. So it's a matter of perspective, to your point, exactly. It's totally a matter of perspective. Well, let's move on with financial stuff we should know. little insurance thing here. Living benefits, we also hear them called accelerated death benefits on life insurance, can be a long-term solution that a lot of people aren't aware of. That's correct. Real quickly on long-term care. Yeah. Um, traditional long-term care policies are really kind of going um, away. And the reason for that is is pretty simple. One, when the insurance companies decided to write traditional long-term care policies, people weren't going to live to their 90s. Number two, a lot of times the interest rates that that they need to make on the premiums that come in on these policies are very, very low. So these insurance companies just aren't making any money on those traditional long-term care policies. And in order for them to make sure that they they pay out the promises they made, a lot of companies just aren't doing them anymore. So they've just frozen their books. John Hancock, Allianz, MetLife, um, many of the big, big companies just aren't offering those traditional long-term care policies anymore. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. The other part is, is that they can't underwrite some of the issues that um, people use to be able to take advantage of the benefits, such as Alzheimer's, strokes, the advent um, of Parkinson's and things of that nature. And they can't underwrite that. You know, how do you know if you write a, a policy on a 60 year old, how do you know if they're going to come down with Alzheimer's at 65? You, it's very difficult to do. Right. And you've charged them or you underwritten them as a preferred risk and you're losing your shirt on it. So these insurance companies are like, we just can't keep doing this. Yeah. But what they can do is they do know that everybody is going to die. <laughs> right. And some people don't think they are, but we're all going to die at some point. We don't know when, but the insurance companies can go in and say, look, we know you're you're in good shape now. We know you're going to die at some point. Whether you use the death benefit now um, as a long-term care benefit, and that's what the living benefits is. Basically, it says that if you can't do two of six activities of daily living, which let's say feed yourself and dress yourself then you can tap into your death benefit on your life insurance policy and help cover cost of long-term care. And as long as you pay the premium, they know that you're going to die and they won't have to pay out the death benefit because you used it for living benefits or accelerated death benefit gotcha. right okay. around there and yeah. you've covered yourself. But they know they're going to have to pay out that money at some point, whether they do it while you're alive or when you're dead, they know they're on the hook for that and they can, they can underwrite it and they can price it so that they can deliver on those benefits. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Makes sense. So see, great financial stuff you should know where even that was a bonus thing you didn't even know that it kind of worked its way in there as well. So lots of good stuff here today on the podcast. Uh, you mentioned risk inside there when you were explaining a little bit about those living benefits and accelerated death benefits. That's another key component of financial stuff you really should know. How much risk are you exposed to? Is your portfolio, is your nest egg, or however you want to word it, how much is it exposed to? And is it often more than you realize? Typically it is. It is. And and unfortunately, the time you find out how much risk you have is when you have a, <laughs> when you have a March, right? downturn yeah. Yeah, like exactly. we did in March. Yep. 
where everything just the floor falls out and we're down 25, 30%, which we saw basically in February and in the big one in March. Mm -hmm. And that's when you find out how much risk you've taken. And And often that's when people pull the trigger and jump out and just make it even worse. Exactly. They, they, they sell at a low, but then they also make the other mistake was when things are going up, they buy at the high. Yep. And, and that's not how you make money in the stock market. You buy low, sell high. You don't buy high and sell low. And that's unfortunately what a lot of people have done. But the, getting back to the point that you asked was that's when you find out about how much risk you're taking. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes to see their portfolio go up in value. But if you don't really know how much risk you're taking, as fast as it went up, it could go down just as fast. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So risk is a great thing to know, understand exactly how you're weighted um, and see, does it match up with your temperament? Because a lot of times, you know, people feel like, especially if you feel like you didn't save enough, you take more risk than you need to, right? We're all kind of familiar with that idea that we're going to take a few more risks than we probably should for our age. And maybe you're doing that for no reason whatsoever, because you're probably in better shape than you realize, but you don't know. You don't have any of this data to work off of. And that's where getting a, you know, having a consultation, getting a, a plan put together, all those things can really help kind of calm all those storms, if you will. And this is all financial stuff you should know. And and that really kind of walks me right into our last one, Steve, is just we're our own worst enemy, the biggest roadblock to us making good decisions, to your point of you know panicking and selling off when things are down, is our own emotions. And lack of knowledge or lack of the data sometimes compounds those emotional responses. Exactly. We are driven by two emotions, fear and for a lack of a better term, greed or p- pleasure. Let's use pleasure as sure. opposed to greed. I hate, you know, greed's kind of a, a negative term. Pleasure, pain or pleasure. So we we always want to avoid pain, but we want to enhance pleasure. Right. Well, in, in the investing world, when you get emotional about that, that's when you start making bad decisions. And when I visit with people, I say, you know, my job as an investment advisor is to not only be an advisor, but also a behavioral investment coach, yeah. managing your, your, your behaviors and your behaviors are ruled by your emotions. And, you know, when nobody likes to see their, their stock portfolio go down in value and nobody does. So that the emotion of fear of like, oh my God, I'm going to lose all my money has to be weighed by somebody and say, no, you're not going to lose all your money. Yes, it's going down, but don't compound the fact or the problem of selling, and then you locked in your losses. Right, right. Allow the markets to work for you. Over time, they will re- will come back. And I've seen portfolios this year. People got out in the latter part of March when the market was at its lowest. And they have missed yeah. the incredible comeback that the market made this the year. The S&P is actually higher at the time of this taping than it was pre-COVID. And they're they're sitting in cash. Yeah. And they, they would not make they would not get back in or stay in because of the fear factor. And we're probably going to see it again, Steve, over the, like I said, this is October. We're going to see it again this coming month. And in the next month, people are going to say, oh, well, the election's going to happen and things are going to go crazy. We, we saw it, you know, four years ago. It is. And I can, I have numbers. I have examples of what elections have done to the stock market. And believe it or not, it doesn't impact the markets as gravely as people think it's going to. <laughs> but, it, it, but doesn't. Steve, it doesn't matter who wins. this time it's different. <laughs> That's the term we no, it's never. Hears. It's not. Right. It, I, I agree. I know, I know what you're saying. Yeah. It, no, it's not different this time. That needs to be taken out of people's vocabulary. Yeah. It isn't any different now than it has ever been. 
yes, the rhetoric going back and forth and what have you and all that. Yeah, that's probably a little bit unprecedented. But speaking of the market wise, mm-hmm. people have to understand this. The stock market basically goes up or down based upon companies making money and saying they're going to make money's in the future, make money in the future. Right. That's essentially the bottom line. If they know they're going to make money and they say they're going to make money and they're they're projecting out, then you're probably going to see the market go up. If they come back and say, gosh, we're looking like our revenues are going to be down this quarter, they look like they'll be down next quarter, you can correlate that with their stock trend and it's down. That's the easiest thing that, that you can see. So if companies are making money, then their stock price is probably going to go up. And I like to use this, and, and, and I know we're running upon time, but let me give them an example. And if you, you people need to go back and look at this, go back and look at the S&P 500 chart. Jimmy Carter, a lot of times a snake bit in his, in his presidency, just mm-hmm. kind of like everything that went, could go wrong went wrong. Sure, yeah. You know, we had hyperinflation. We had all sorts of stuff going on, high interest rates, gas shortage. And, we had the terrorist and Tehran deal, all that stuff. Tehran, you know, just everything going on. And, you know, I remember sitting in gas lines back when, when I was that age, getting gas or then seeing that the dreaded sign allocation out. So no more gas. But anyway, if you go back and look at the stock market, it actually was going up during his presidency. It didn't tank during his presidency. Hmm. So, and it really had not anything to do with him or his policies for the most part. It just had to do with the companies were making money, not as much as they were hoping. Right. But companies were making money and the markets were, you know. Um, well, you could look at, you could look at now, right, Steve? I mean, people are like confused at how they can say, well, God, we've got so many people out of work still and so many places are still closed. So how is it still doing so good? Well, there's not every sector is doing good. Tech's driving a lot of this, you know, and so on and so forth, right? Oil, typically, to, to your conversation piece, is not. It, typically, it's well, Exxon just got kicked off the Dow not recently, not too long ago. Right. And that happens. And, yeah. and you're going to see that is that some industries are doing really well mm-hmm. and some industries aren't. Yep. That happens all the time. And when something goes bad in one place, something else is picking it up. You know, this, this, the lockdowns, um, and, <laughs> The the un, non-essential businesses, and don't get right. me started on that, For Sure, yeah. um, basically were killed. But look who's doing real well. You know, well, some and that's a great way of saying, and that's why diversity is important, because when some things are down, some things are up. Same thing is that's why you want your plan to be diversified so that, you know, if large caps are down, small caps might be up, vice versa. It's exactly right. And you can look at the charts. So what what I want people to understand is that the presidential race is going to come in. And yes, there's going to, you and I talked about this before we went on. Just always think when we have these wild swings in the stock market, a lot of it has to do with speculators in the market. And that's a lot of times we'll make these big swings in the market on a short-term basis, mm-hmm. you know, daily basis or something. Right. And what all they've done is they basically have, they're going to bet one's going to win and one's going to lose. And if the it happens opposite of what they bet, well, boy, they're going to have to cover their positions and it's either going to be a sell-off or a buy. So, but overall, as you'll probably have a little bit of volatility um, during the election, after the election for a little while, but it's all going to come back to the mean, meaning it will all go back to, okay, how are companies doing? Are they, gonna, are they still making money? Are they looking to continue to make money? And if they are, the market will probably still kind of coast along. 
There you go. And with that, folks, that is some financial stuff you should know. So thanks for tuning in this week to the podcast. As always, we appreciate it. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use. We'd certainly appreciate it. Share the message with others who might benefit. Most of the places give you a way to do that. You can find it all at Steve's website, wealthpartnerskc.com. You can share that as well. And if you have any questions or you need some help or there's some financial stuff you feel like you need to know, then give him a call, get on the calendar, and have a consultation and a conversation. 913-685-3207. That's 913-685-3207. And again, you can also go to wealthpartnerskc.com. So, Steve, my friend, thanks so much for your time, man. That was fun. I appreciate it. Have a great one, Mark. Thanks. You do the same, and we will talk soon here on The Retirement Pilot. Stay safe and sane, folks. We'll catch you next time. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.